This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. Verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he thought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and then the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's be seated. As the grass withers and the flowers fade, the Word of God stands forever. Let's take just a few moments. Let me pray for us before we begin our sermon. Heavenly Father, thank you. I pray that you would move mightily, mightily in the midst of this passage. Enable me to preach fearfully, excuse me, fearlessly, seeking only to honor and glorify you without fear of any other person. And would you transform us as a church as we look at this passage in our hearts, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever we approach a portion of Scripture to interpret it, there's a couple of things that we need to keep in mind. To begin with, when we see that in a portion of Scripture that the author is addressing a particular situation, we need to make sure we understand that situation, what's being told to them, and understand their application before we ever get to any application for us. Because if we skip over the application intended for the original audience, then we can't get to a proper application for us. For example, in the past few weeks, we've seen in the book of Romans that Paul has addressed a crisis. That for years and years, hundreds, even thousands of years, there's been a sense, a promise of Scripture that a Jewish Messiah, a Savior, would come. And Jesus was that Messiah, that Savior. And he lived perfectly. He died justly. And he rose again gloriously. And so the Messiah had come. The Savior had come. But the crisis in Rome and in that first century is that despite this Jewish Savior coming... 
By comparison, very few of the Jewish people believed compared to the large number of Gentiles and pagan people who've come in. And so we needed to understand that. We need to understand exactly what Paul was saying to that church in that moment before we can ever find an application for us. And that's true anytime Paul is speaking directly to a situation in the church age, in the, in the biblical age. But in this portion of Scripture, what we're going to see is that Paul is speaking in a general church, in a general sense, to the church universal. He's given church principles that would apply to that church in Rome, to any church over the last thousands of years, and to us and any other Christ-professing church. The wonderful thing about that is that means when we understand what this passage is saying, we get to go directly to application to us. It's almost as if there's a, a barrier in understanding that's been removed. Paul is speaking to the church universal. He's speaking to you, evident grace. And as a result, what that means is that our practical understanding here is going to be personal. Intensely practical, but intensely personal. We're going to get to go directly to, hey, this is what it looks like as a church and then this is what it looks like for us and for you. Now, what we saw last week is we looked at two verses where Paul said that all believers are living sacrifices, and they're supposed to live as these living sacrifices. Which means daily, anyone who has faith in Jesus, what you are to do, what I'm to do, what we're to do, is to we are to sacrifice on behalf of glorifying God. No, we aren't paying for our sins over again. Christ paid for all of our sins. We're not offering some payment to get God to love us more. No, God has poured out the same love on you that he has for Jesus, again, because of what Jesus has done. But we do sacrifice desires. We do sacrifice things perhaps that are good to want, but we lay them aside to glorify God and to see his church build and to proclaim Jesus to the world. And over and over again, we sacrifice all those things joyfully. We live as Christ has lived. As God told Christ what to do, so God tells us what to do. And that's the living sacrifice that we are to do. Now, when we move into verses 3 through 8 in Romans 12, what we're going to see is now Paul wants to make sure the church universal understands how it fits together. So towards that end, our big idea is this. The big idea is empowering the gifts within the church. Paul wants to empower the gifts that you possess. Enable you to live them out with the power of God. As we've mentioned in both the call to worship and our time of repentance, God has uniquely equipped you and has uniquely equipped all of us. So our big idea is empowering the gifts within the church. And we're going to see three points along those lines. Okay? Here they are. Empowering the gifts within the church. Here it is. Gifting starts with humility. Gifting is intended for the church, and gifting is guided by God's command. Gifting is humility, it's for the church, and God commands how we use them. Let's look at this very first one. Gifting starts with humility. Gifting, every gift God gives you, your usage of it starts with humility. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, stop there. Paul's saying, listen, 
God has given me grace in my life, in his sinful life, to say this to you. And he's also saying it's going to need some grace for you to hear it. Paul's coming with humility himself. He's like, I can only say this to you because of the grace God has given to me. Remember, grace is God's mercy. It's his unmerited favor. It's all the things you receive that you don't deserve. So Paul's saying, listen, by the grace God gave me, I'm going to tell you something, okay? God's enabling me to tell it to you, and you're going to need grace to hear it. So here it is. By grace given to me, I say to every one of you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Let me say it in this way. Paul is telling the church universal, each individual, don't think so much of yourself. You think too highly of yourself. You may not believe that, but we're all, we all suffer from an arrogance and a pride. Even in our self-loathing and self-hatred, there's an element of that that says uh, that I'm, I'm the worst of all. We can make even loathing something that we're arrogant about. Paul's saying, no, listen to what I want for you. This is what God wants for you. Don't think of you yourself too highly. We're going to think of Christ highly, but we're not going to be arrogant in and of ourselves. We're not going to think we're the smartest. We're not going to think we're the wisest. We're not going to think we're the godliest. We're going to look at others and just assume they are better than I. But think with sober judgment. Look at yourself as unaffected by anything outside of you as you can. Sober judgment. So, so if you want to use the language of being sober, that's contrasted with being drunk, right? And so sober means you're not affected by any outside thing, right? So look at yourself with sober judgment. Like, be honest with yourself as much as possible. Don't let accolades uh, affect your judgment of yourself. Don't let achievements affect the way you look at yourself. Don't let your appearance or your riches or any of those things, don't let those things affect the way you think of yourself. Each of you should think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We look at each we look at ourselves and like, okay, God has given me faith. I did not come into a relationship with God by earning it, by impressing him, or being super godly. I came into a relationship with God only by faith, and I should look at myself in the same way. And God has assigned each of us faith. Now you might say, Gordon, I don't feel like I have a lot of faith. I don't. Well, here's the wonderful thing. You can pray for more faith. Uh, there's a wonderful story in, in the book of Mark. I believe it's Mark 9. And there's a man that comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, my son is possessed by a spirit. And that spirit often causes my son to throw himself into the fire. And, and if you can do anything, would you? And Jesus says, if I can do anything, what do you mean? And the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. The man goes to Jesus goes, listen, I have faith that you can do something, but I'm struggling. Can you give me more faith? And that's what we do. We recognize that we have a hard time with humility. We recognize that it's hard to use our giftings without becoming arrogant or self-assured or believing that our opinion is always right or that our version of the story is the only correct version of the story. We have a hard time. But humility is the essence of faith. 
I don't know how many of you have been following along with the Luke devotions that we're doing on Facebook Monday through Friday at 1. I've enjoyed it because it's given me a broader picture of the work of Christ. And then in our EG groups, we're going through the book of Mark. And so there's a couple of opportunities for you. There's Mark on our EG groups and there's Luke throughout the week where you can receive this wonderful overview and picture of Jesus' life. And one of the themes that we're seeing in Luke over and over again is the theme of humility. Let me give you just a couple examples uh, from the book of Luke. So Luke 6, 27, Jesus says, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. It takes so much humility to love your enemy. And when someone hates you, you may be wronged. But to love your enemy says, I'm going to forgive them because I was the enemy of God. And God forgave me. It takes humility to look upon the person who has wronged you, the person who has assassinated your character to others, to a group of people who has perhaps made others felt like that you're wrong or your character is worse, or to someone who has hurt you in your past. Those things are very real wounds, right? But in humility, you say, Father, enable me to forgive them because you forgave me. That's humility. Uh, Jesus goes on in Luke 8.21, and someone says, Blessed be your mother who bore you. You know what Jesus says? He goes, my, my mother and brother and sisters are the ones who hear my words and obey them. That's humility, because what Jesus is saying is, I'm putting you all on the same level playing field. You're all, you're all my family. Humility doesn't get us to step above anyone else and say, I'm better than you or you and you. No, we're just like, you know what? By faith, we are the family of God. A couple of more. Uh, Luke 9.23, Jesus tells his disciples and us that we must daily deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Living a life of sacrifice and a willingness even to die for him. Luke 9.48, the least among you is the greatest over and over and over again. Friends, if you want to use your gifting well to honor God, then it's a matter of humility. I've received this gift from God. I don't deserve it, and I'm going to use it in humility. I'm not going to consider my gift as less than yours. I'm not going to consider my gift as greater than yours. I'm going to say, in humility, I shouldn't even have this gift, but God has gifted it to me, and so what I can do is glorify Him by using this gift in the church for by grace given to you and by the faith given to you, don't consider yourself better than others. The engine of gifting in the church is humility and faith. The engine of gifting in the church is humility and faith. Let's go forward. Gifting is intended for the church. The gifting God has given you is intended for for usage in the church. Look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members. Now I'm going to stop there. This is a theme of much of Paul's writings. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about the church being the body of Christ. We talk about that when we take the Lord's Supper. That the church is the body of Christ. The church is the work of Christ in this world. So verse 4, he says, 
For as in one body we have many members. So in, in, in your body you have a hand, you have a foot, you have an arm, you have a head, right? He says, just as one body has many members, the members do not have all the same function. So the hand doesn't do what the foot does. The head doesn't do what the leg does. This is just as practical as it can be. In your anatomy, you understand that you're one body. You have many pieces, and each piece has a separate function. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So in the same way that your body has many members, and each has a different function, so the church, the body of Christ, has many members in different functions. And so what that means is, is that you, as a member of a church, as a member of Evident Grace Fellowship, that means that you have particular gifting, and you're in, in, in it's all part of one body of Christ, but you serve out of that gifting. And when that one member of the body is not serving, the whole body functions. Uh, one of the stories of Evident Grace is that within the first year or two, uh, we had a Memorial Day cookout. It was a big cookout. Everybody was there. 50 plus people were there. And Amy uh, severely injured her thumb on a mandolin slicer. Do you know what these mandolin slicers are? They, they do it. They cut amazing things, uh, but they also are incredibly dangerous. And so she lost a good bit of her thumb with a mandolin slicer, and I, as a young church planner, foolishly just kind of bandaged it up and said, hey, let's go to the cookout. And then Amy wound up having to go to the emergency room, and she had to recover from this, right? It, it was awful. Well, this past week, we used the mandolin slicer again. Amy was wise enough to use it. I was cleaning it. I was washing it. And I cut the tip of my finger. So much so, I think I went, <gasps> something along those lines when I cut my finger. And we, too, again, were on our way out the door. So the same type thing. I, I, we got it compressed. We held it. We put gauze on it. We wrapped it with tape. And so, uh, so uh, it wasn't as bad as Amy's. But, wow, I could not believe how bad the tip of your index finger could hurt you. So all week long, I had either a big Band-Aid on it or gauze or tape. And you know what? I had troubles doing, uh, trouble doing everything. It was hard to type because I'm used to typing. And why not, I'm having to use substitute fingers for just normal typing. It was hard to shave. You want to be really careful when you're putting a blade on your face and you can't hold the, the razor in the same way. In preparation for this service, I was having a hard time playing guitar. Just that little tiny tip of the finger wasn't functioning properly and my whole body was thrown off. That's what Paul is emphasizing to the church. Each and every one of you have a gift, a unique gift, a unique a unique gift mix from God. All of us, we're part of one body, but it's different. And so you have the glorious privilege to serve as part of that body. But if you don't serve, then the body isn't functioning properly. If I don't, or you don't, or someone else you know, if we don't serve, the body isn't functioning as it should. Individually, we are members of one another. All of us together are one. But individually, we have functions. In this, my encouragement to you is, again, consider the gifting God has given you. Consider it doesn't matter if it looks showy or whether it's something that people notice or not because you're serving to glorify God. And 
The church functions to God's glory when you use your gift. If you're welcoming someone when they walk in the front door, whether you're serving in the nursery, whether you're making coffee, whether you're stacking chairs, whether you're singing, whether you're administrating teams online, whether you're setting up or taking down, all of those things. Maybe you're helping your small group organize online. Maybe you are coordinating our services at the Brisbane Center. Whatever the case may be, your gifting glorifies God. It enables the church to function. But if you're not serving, then the church is not functioning as it should or as it could. And then we desire to share Jesus with others so they too might come into a relationship with Jesus and then they can find their unique gifting and contribute to the work of the church. And then the more people we have serving, then the more the church can do and the greater impact the church can have on individual lives in the community. So a desire for a church to grow is never just merely that we can grow and grow and have numbers. If we are bringing people in and they have a relationship with Jesus, then they find the glorious function of their member within the church, and the church can have a greater impact. This is going to be all the more needed in the coming weeks, and I'll speak to that in just a few moments. Empowering a gifting with the church starts with humility. It's a recognition that we use that gifting within the church. And then it's also gifting is guided by God's command. God tells us what to do with those gifts. He's the one who tells us how we should use our gifting. Look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ, differ according to the grace given to us. Okay, He's establishing everything we just said. Okay, You have a gift. It's different than everyone else. And you have particular grace... In mercy, to live out that gifts, he starts listing things for us. If prophecy, then prophesy in proportion to your faith. If in, if in preaching or if in explaining the scriptures, then do it according to faith is what he's saying. You have grace. If you have that gift, then do it according to the proportion of your faith. If God's given you, verse 7, the, the gift to serve, then go serve. To the one who teaches, if God's given you the gift to teach, then teach. Verse 8. If God's given you the gift of exhortation, then go exhort people. To go to people and be like, I can see you doing this. It's like when, when I, I sat down with my mentor, Terry Trailer all the way back uh, in 1999. And he had that gift of exhortation. And he looked at me and Amy and he said, I could see you planting a church. I could see your family in the ministry. And we couldn't see it at all. But he could, that gift of exhortation, and he never shied away from it. Over and over again, I saw him help other people see their guidance and their call into ministry because he had the gift of exhortation, and he didn't shy away from it. If he had the gift of ex exhortation, then a gift, then exhort it. To the one who contributes in generosity, God gives a unique gifting of generosity. People who just love to give. Love to give. They love to give financially to the church. They love to give their time to the church. They love to give their talents. And it's like, if God's given you that gift to contribute, then just do it generously. To the one who leads with zeal. If you're going to be a leader, do it with zeal. Call people. Call people to action with joy and be zealous about it. Let's go do this. Let's go take that hill. Let's go share the gospel. Let's go into our community. Let's go, folks. To the person who's given the gift of mercy, do it cheerfully. 
If you love showing mercy to others, do it cheerfully. When you see people in need, you take great joy. You're cheerful to help meet that need. And it's the same way with every other gift. Paul just lists gifts there. I could do the same thing. If you have the gift of caring for children in nursery, do it. Go care for those kids in nursery. If you have the gift of cleaning, go clean the church. Paul is saying, with the gifts that God gives you, do it generously. Do it joyfully. But here's the thing. Do it by faith and in grace. The scriptures tell us that if we do anything and we don't do it by faith, we're actually sinning. Actually sinning. What we're going to see in Romans 14, 23, when we get there, Paul's going to say this. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So anything you do that's not faith-filled is sin. So when you have a gift, do it by faith in God. That means the only way you're going to be able to do it is to trust Him for faith. Friends, we're looking at a situation where Evan and Grace Fellowship is going to move away from a camera screen to meeting again very soon. At least that's the way it's tracking now, right? Virginia is opening up. The opportunity to meet at the Y is coming up. Your leaders are putting together a plan so we can do it uh, in, in a way where we're, health, we're healthy and safely. And so we're coming up. And we will have had, at that point in time, almost a three-month break from meeting. And guess what's going to have to happen again? We're going to have to set up chairs and take them down. But now, we're going to have to clean them, set them up, take them down, and clean them. We're going to have to take extra precautions. When we set those chairs up to make sure everybody's got six feet in every direction to make sure we're being safe. Every single aspect that we've ever done as a worship service, we're going to have to examine through the lens of how do we do this safely. And so that means that all of a sudden we'll be back on a schedule. There'll be other people on the music team. There are going to be other people reading scripture to you, other people with time of repentance, other people who are going to be serving to get things set up and taken down. And here's the thing, friends. It's been nice in one sense to have two to three months of a break from that. It's given us a chance for our bodies and our spirits to rest from that. But God, is, by His grace, is calling us soon back to meeting once again. Praise God that we're going to be, hopefully, by His grace, we're going to be able to meet together in one room. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. But prayer, by His grace, we're going to be back together. And then we are going to have new opportunities. You are going to have new opportunities to serve again. And to make that service worshipful, you are going to need to pray for faith and grace. I promise you, I am and your leadership is. And so when I think about that, that, that uh, list, that schedule going out, when I think about what it means to ask people to serve again, I think, Father, it's going to take faith. It's not going to be worshipful for them to serve unless it's filled by faith. It's not going to be worshipful for them to serve unless it's full of grace. Romans 14, 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, unless we're doing it by trusting your grace, your mercy, and the faith you give us, we're going to be sinning. Father, protect us from that. Enable us to arrive and serve joyfully, empowered by your grace. Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Friends, let me move our sermon, our sermon to a conclusion here. 
Uh, if this is your first time watching or listening to the sermon, uh, we have a big idea. And then what we do is we offer a truth, an application, and an action. A truth is a, a statement of truth that addresses the big idea. An application is a, a way to live. Live knowing this. And an action is something we can do. Let's look at those things as we move towards a conclusion. Our big idea is this. The big idea was empowering the gifts within the church. How do we empower the gifts within the church? Well, uh, gifting starts with humility. We must all approach our gifts with humility, not thinking that we're better than anyone else. Gifting is intended for the church that God has given you your gifts uniquely, creatively, for you to use them within the context of the church. One body, many members, each with their own function. And then gifted, gifting is guided by God's command. God tells us how to use them. The truth is this. God equips the church to fulfill her mission by giving unique gifts to each Christian for them to serve in humility and by God's design. Well, that is a mouthful. Let me say that again. God equips the church. He equips us to fulfill our mission. And he does that by giving unique gifts to you for you to serve in humility by God's design and command. You are an integral part. You are a unique part of the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ with a different function than others, but united in one to Christ. God has designed it that way. Application. Live knowing, friends, live knowing that God has uniquely equipped you to serve the church in fulfilling the Great Commission. The Great Commission was God's call that we would go into the world and make disciples of Christ. And we saw this in Acts 1-8 with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that we would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so you, friends, you need to know that live knowing that you are uniquely equipped to be a part of that mission. The mission is designed for you to be a part of it. Not to exclude yourself from it, but to be a part of it. Your highest joy will be understanding your gifting and live it out in faith and grace in the midst of the church. And our action this week is a prayer. Prayer for joy in using your gifts within the church. Pray for joy. You see, friends, to some extent, many of you have not been able to use your gifting these past few weeks because so much of our gifting is lived out one together and so we have not been face to face haven't even been face to face in our small groups much less in worship but God has gifted you and many of you have not had the opportunity to live that gifting out we are going to face that soon and we need to pray that God gives us joy to do it let me pray for us as we prepare for our final song let's bow our heads Father thank you you have gifted us with this beautiful gifting designed by you. Would you enable us to have joy and humility to live it out? In Jesus' name, amen.